The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One me and one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis. A mad scramble saves a playoff spot and might have given us a Heisman Trophy frontrunner unless another heroic effort did and why Tennessee just can't seem to have nice things. This is the College Game Day podcast for Monday, November 21st. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here. So, Pete, everybody in the top four of the college football playoff rankings won, but they won by a grand total of 26 points, largely all escaping. Georgia didn't escape as much as it slogged through, but everybody sort of escaped, and it almost it almost underscores um, why the expanded playoff would be good this year because I'm not sure that there is as much separation at the top as there has been in most years of the college football playoff. Yes, well, I think I'll start by uh, tipping my cap to the anonymous coach who pointed out the frailties in Georgia, who I now get mocked for every week on Twitter um, <laughs> when uh, when Georgia when Georgia methodically uh, you know mulches some uh, poor uh, poor opponent. Um, but I do think that there, I think if you are going to be a number one with a bullet infallible team. You need to have, and again, I don't want to bring up the Stetson Bennett debate 90 seconds into our podcast today, but like, he's not Trevor Lawrence is, you know, what I'm going to say. He's not to a tongue of a low. He's a really good college quarterback that I have a ton of respect for. And he will probably, he is favored to lead them to -to back-to-back national titles, which puts him in some pretty rare air in our lifetimes. But I do think that some modest frailties on defense combined with a maybe lack of downfield diamondism there underscores the realities of this, that there could, if we had a 12 team playoff, there could be some upsets this year. And I do think Mm -hmm. there are some years where there won't be any upsets. There'll be some like methodical dispatchings. And Mm -hmm. then from five up, there'll be some fun home games. Right. So, um, well, there'd be buys on those, uh, on those early ones anyway, obviously. So, um, yeah, I think that, uh, I, I think that this is going to be a fun finish. I do think, there's probably a little less ambiguity and a little less flying the ointment debate with Tennessee co- sort of clearing themselves out. Um, but I do think that the, you know, USC at the doorstep, let, let's just take a moment and appreciate that. All right. USC hasn't been at the doorstep of much except irrelevancy, you know, pretty much since Pete Carroll left. So mm-hmm. I, I really feel like the, and I was a little bit of a skeptic going into the season. I thought Lincoln Riley would do a good job. Um, I was always all in on Caleb Williams. I just thought holistically, and look, their defense stinks. Like there's really not any polite way to say that. They were awful against UCLA. But Corey Foreman, the former number one recruit in the country, drops off the end into coverage and makes an interception that saves the game on Saturday night. Like mm-hmm. they've got dudes and you know, one of them made one of them made a play when it, when it had to happen. I agreed with Joel Clad who ended up wrong. Like if you punt you, like I really thought that was the accurate summation of that game. You and I were texting. Mm-hmm. You didn't think you said they could stop him. And you were generally right about that too. Um, yeah. As that yeah. game went on. But I think USC as a potential interloper is, uh, is, 
is pretty fascinating. And we get a one loss conference champion for whoever comes out of our game on Saturday um, as the, uh, you know, as, as the loser, I think that's some, I think that's a pretty good debate. I don't think there's uh, I don't think there's a stand on the table argument there. No, I, I agree. The, the 26 point margin, 20 points more or fewer, I guess is a better way to put it, 20 points fewer than the lowest combined margins of victory for the top four in the playoff era when all have won. Uh, 2017, there was a 46, and now you see just how close it was. The Ohio State That's game a Marissa got, Dowling stat. Let's yeah. just give her credit now. Yeah, exactly. What is that? Is that where Taylor got that? Taylor sent me this Oh, stat Taylor this sent it. I'm sorry. Yeah, he I, did, uh, but, but he probably got it from Marissa, which is yeah. where most good stats come from. But, um, yes. yeah, it's, you know, it, it's sort of you looked at the team Saturday and you watched TCU have a very, very close, in my judgment, to dumb loses more than smart wins moment uh, when they rush the field goal team on. You know, I know they do the fire drill, but most of the time that's the product of necessity rather than choice. And, you know, because of the way they handled uh, the spike on second down, then they ran the ball and they had to go out there. But you know what? The more I thought about it, Pete, all of this stuff, which I detest, I detest the icing, the kicker thing. And we're, we're flowing around here. I, everybody that's listening to this podcast knows that TCU beat Baylor by one point or a walk-off field goal. But I, the the TV host in me almost feels compelled to say that off the, <laughs> off the top before we uh, change subjects. So they rushed the field goal unit on, and everybody, including me, is like and I, but I was traveling to the airport. And I was keeping up. Pollock came up to me in the airport and actually gave me the rundown. I went back and watched. And you're thinking, what are they doing? And then you think, you know what? All of the all of the stupid timeouts that coaches call to ice kickers, and sometimes uh, the timeout that uh, coaches call to set up the field goal unit can uh, be a de-, de facto icing of their own kicker. What if you just ran him out there and said, kick the thing through, kid, let's do this. And you know, so maybe, maybe Sonny Dykes, you know, you say, is he insane or is he so sane that he was the only one that really understood the best chance they had to pull that game out of the fire? I'll make, I'll make a couple of big declarations from this past weekend, one of them from this game. Caleb Williams has been sensational, but Max Duggan is my Heisman front runner. He, he had he That's had the highest he had the Heisman moment. Caleb did too, but that was more holding somebody off, and it was fantastic. And look, I may end up changing by the time I cast my vote. There's more data to come in here, but Saturday he saved them again. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, without some of the threats, he saved them. And that and if is you also- watching. Did you see the two point conversion drop? Yes, I did. Stone I, I went back drop. Like cold drop off his hands. Uh, I want to give a, a, a hustle award to David Wilson, one of my ESPN.com colleagues, who got the TCU special teams coach on the phone last night uh, to reiterate that they practice that play. So it's called Bazooka is their play. And they say, he said they practice it every Thursday. And the special teams coach at TCU, Mark Tomerdahl, good day to be Mark Tomerdahl on Saturday, by the way, um, was a little bit annoyed that like they were like, yeah, we do practice. We practice every Thursday. Uh, I was sitting at the Bozeman Airport bar. The, the I give the good people of Montana credit. The game was not on because they're watching Montana, Montana State, as they should be at the Bozeman Airport bar. So I had my laptop up 
there was a couple of guys from our game day crew flanked aside me. And when they spiked it on second down, I said, I don't agree with that because mm. you really, you really can't like with 22 seconds, my thought was you can't roll out Max Duggan and have a play that takes eight seconds. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And like all of a sudden you got to run this field goal unit out. I was like, I would have run it on second down, spiked it on third and done that. I said, if they run the ball here, it is going to be, I was like, I don't, I said, I don't think they can do it. Mm-hmm. Like that right. was my instinct. Now, again, yeah. there's analytics books and there's, that's why they have their Thursday practice to practice bazooka. But I was like, I like literally was like standing up being like, no, oh! like I was way, it was like watching a car accident. And then they show the, the, the big shot. And the kicker is like, just walking off the sideline, like totally mm-hmm. casual. Mm-hmm. And doesn't doesn't get his steps, doesn't measure it off, just walks up and like literally walked it off. It was unbelievable. That was like one of the great moments of the season. Like, holy gosh, that yeah. was a uh, that was it was something to watch lot. Like it was like, no, and I'm not rooting for anybody, but it's just this great moment. And like there it is just like unfolding in this in this really casual, awkward way. But hey, good for them, man. That that was the kick of that kid's life. The celebration was unbelievable. The team sunny celebration. Like, you know, that's a top five moment of college football season right there. Just the collision of everything that happened. That they need to they need to kick, use the timeouts, force the punt, move the ball, the whole thing. So Hats off to the Horn Frogs. I uh, I had stopped being a skeptic a couple weeks ago, and I uh, I maintained my place uh, with my tongue firmly planted on the hypnotoad. I'm enjoying the I'm enjoying the rush. <laughs> Weekend review is brought to you by Eckridge Smoked Sausage. Find them in the refrigerated meat aisle at your favorite grocery store to create one of a kind sausage recipes. Eckridge, you do you. Now I wasn't watching uh, with you in the Bozeman Bar because I spent a little time uh, watching the brawl of the wild before. Uh, before we ended up catching the flight, that that is an intense atmosphere uh, for sure. Just a brief touch on that to go out the the horses running out and then running back in with the flags at the beginning. And I mean, they are saying mean things to the other side. In fact, there was a dude. Uh, the one thing on the sideline, there there's certain you know Pete and I are, are fortunate and blessed in our jobs. We watch a lot of games from the sideline. It's not quite the decorum level of the press box, right? But at the same time, there's a if you're at Tennessee for the Tennessee Florida game, Tennessee Alabama game, or Georgia for you know big Georgia game or something, wherever you are, Notre Dame, you're expected if if you're on the sideline, you're expected to kind of behave a certain way. Well, there were people on the Montana State sideline that were screaming. At the at the opposing players, like the screaming at the at the Grizz, like one of them every time, you know, there'd be a little pushing and shoving when they got up. This dude standing beside me uh, would yell, "How did you get so tough? How did you get so tough?" Like that, he was like screaming this vitriolic screaming. Then there were far more uh, uh, graphic things being yelled at them from the actual stands. But I, I, was, I sort of chuckled. I was like, they call it a brawl. And we're in the wild. And it's both of those things. Uh, but not not much of a fight. I mean, that was one of those when I left pretty early that, while well, Montana's a, a good team, that when you see somebody gashing everybody for eight yards every time they run it, there is no sign that they're going to be able to stop. I was like, I, I looked at the guy with me who was going to the airport. I was like, after the second drive, I was like, this was in the books. I said, that ain't changing. You know, you know, you see things sometimes early in the game and, and you know, it's not changing. In direct contrast was 
South Carolina and Tennessee, which as I watched that unfold, I I kept thinking, well, okay, it's going to end here. Well, okay, they're not going to score this time. Well, they're not going to score this time. And yet South Carolina, which put a whopping total of six points on the board against against Florida the week before, they scored touchdowns on their – first six real drives of the game or something like that. That was a, I think that was the best single game performance of the season. What South Carolina did to Tennessee Saturday night. I think the most out of character, they've had some nice games and some nice wins, but it was like the most stunning single game performance. Cause it was just not indicative of how Spencer Rattler had played all year. So I give Shane Beamer a lot of credit. Marcus Satterfield, a lot of credit. A lot of times when you're a big underdog or an underdog, I don't know if they're a huge one. And you jump out to a huge lead like that, your football instincts tell you to take the foot off the gas, to run the ball, to get conservative. And they kept that pedal and the hammer down. Like they knew they needed to score 60 and they and they coached that way, which is mm-hmm. not an intuitive way to coach as an underdog. So I, I give them a I give them a ton of credit for that. Happy for Spencer Rattler, right? Like he's had mm-hmm. a he's had a, a a rough trip this year. And uh and, and obviously, you know, last season didn't end the way he wanted when when Caleb Williams, Wally pipped him in the Texas game. So I really feel like that it's, uh, you know, that was just a, that was just a nice moment for, for him. You got to remember, this kid goes into the 2021 season thinking he might be the number one pick in the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. And there he is sort of toggling around on the, you know, on, on the sidelines, uh, you know, in a different place the next year. So. Um, yeah, but a, a, a stunning result. Obviously, we I think we got to say a little bit about Hendon Hooker, Reese. Just that sure, yeah. was one of the most heartbreaking moments of, of the season. We were lucky enough to be around Hendon a couple times uh, in our trips to Knoxville. Met his parents, uh, wonderful people. Uh, just a just a you know he Hendon Hooker was you know the feel good story of this as a player of this college football season. Sixty year guy mm-hmm. found the right place, found the right system, figured it out right. Yeah. Like in, 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 in just, it was this perfect collision. And, uh, you know, one thing that's great about college football is all paths aren't linear. Everybody's not Caleb Williams who shows up, gets the job and just, just takes off like a rocket ship. Mm-hmm. You have to face adversity, overcome it. You, you know, there's just different things. And he made an unbelievable decision, um, in the portal to find a place that matched his skill set. And, uh, you know, obviously with December 5th coming in the portal about to turn into this uh, Niagara Falls of that, it's uh, I, I hope that there's, you know, I hope there's the, a lot of matches like the Hendon Hooker Tennessee match, because that may go down as the best portal match um, of all of all time. I mean, just uh, I mean, would, if you had told me Hendon Hooker would turn into a Heisman candidate, he was a good quarterback at Virginia Tech, mm-hmm. but there was mm-hmm. nothing about him that screamed greatness from his mm-hmm. time there. He was talented. He was a good player, but there was nothing where you thought this is going to, it was going to be one of the faces of the sport. And he became that. So I give him a lot of credit. I give hype a lot of credit for finding someone who would fit in his system. And obviously hookers out with uh, ACL the rest of the year. It's going to obviously impact his draft status, his draft prep, et cetera. Let's, let's just hope he gets a, he gets a shot on the other side because he's earned it. Well, I, I hope so. And I'll echo what you said. I, I mean, Hendon's a great man of faith. Uh, been, as you mentioned, been around his parents a couple of times and I mean, you know, as as us uh, older generation people do, complimented them on the great way they had they had reared their son, and uh, you know it was a heartbreaking thing for Hendon individually, collectively. And you know, look, it, it wasn't him. They scored a bunch of points, but the Tennessee defense wasn't up to the challenge, and it was surprising, Pete, 
because it was so off brand for South Carolina, but it was also precise and brilliant because the other thing they did, I mean, it's easy to say, look, they gave up a bunch of yards. They controlled, I mean, maybe didn't shut down, but they controlled Jalen Hyatt. They didn't let him just destroy them as he has, you know, so many other, so many other teams this year. They, they moved the ball with precision. You mentioned the aggressiveness. Look, when, when USC steps up and has a great performance, right? Um, you know, everything doesn't always have to be perfect because they've got this elite talent, right? And sometimes that just outshines everything. Caleb can can dance around. He can find Jordan Addison, makes a guy miss, and, you know, and everything, everything goes well. Same thing certainly true with C.J. Stroud and Marvin Harrison and all of those receivers there. South Carolina doesn't have that. They they've got they've got good players. Uh they've they've got a talented quarterback. The ball is coming out great Saturday night from Spencer Rattler, but Ooh. they don't have that. That's why I think that that performance from a team standpoint was the best one of the season. Because what is it that coaches say they want to do with their teams? They want to maximize them. They want yeah. to give them a chance to play at their very best. That's what Shane Beamer and his staff got out of South Carolina for one brilliant moment on Saturday night. There's going to be a lot of overreaction to this. And they're going to say, oh, look out, Clemson. Oh, look out, Clemson. Here comes old cocky. They're ready now. It's still the same bunch that scored six against Florida. If memory serves, I think they scored 10 against Missouri. Click work fast enough. Yes, correct. 10 against Missouri, six against Florida, and two of the previous three games before, before Saturday night. So I'm not getting carried away with it for what it means going forward, although four and four in the SEC in another seven-win season and at least a shot to beat Clemson. But to go in against Tennessee, 22-point underdog, really no shot. We even said that on game day. I think, you know, I, I sort of said, what would it take for either South Carolina or Kentucky to pull the upset on Saturday? Uh, the best thing we got was, you know, South Carolina's blocked a bunch of kicks, as you might expect, uh, from a Beamer-led outfit. And I think only Notre Dame's blocked more in over the course of the season. Nobody expected a precise performance and a, on offense and a, a controlling one on defense. I think, look, they – now, let's, let's not, I'm not trying to make them, you know, the 85 Bears or something like that. They, the defense gave up yards and they gave up plays, but they didn't just let them always, you know, make it easy. You know what I mean? They did, they did a pretty good job covering. And I just, I think it was the best single game performance of the year by any team because they absolutely maxed out. And when challenged, which they were when Tennessee got it back to 35-31. When challenged, they answered. And, and because, you know, I, I actually sent Shane a note and told him that. Told him I thought it was the best single-game performance by any team this year. Yeah, I thought uh, his comments were pretty compelling in the postgame. Other than Jonathan Wiley, our, our friend from game day, being far too prominent in the postgame interview. I don't know if you saw Shane's interview on the field, but it was like, I was like, is, is Holly interviewing Wiley or is he interviewing Shane? Is she interviewing Wiley or is she interviewing Shane? Uh, now, he was obviously 
you know, holding people off Holly in, in, uh, in that. But I thought, you know, he said, this is what this place can become. And it was a pretty compelling scene. It was pretty, it was pretty neat. Um, you know, and that's what college football is one raucous night in Columbia, South Carolina, where everybody storms the field and feels like part of it. You know, um, you, 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 you didn't have maybe the season you wanted, but you showed improvement and you ended one of your division rivals, uh, you know, playoff quests. Like that's a, that's a pretty good night. And you got to stun the nation and hang 63. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Is there anything to um, now? Last week we saw, and look, I'm, I'm asking. I don't know. I don't know the answer to this. And if anybody would, it would be you, the authority, with all the connections you have. Is there is there anything to Heupel was you know gunning it down the field, albeit with Joe Milton against Missouri last week, and that game was way out of hand. And you know, South Carolina had the thing won, and they stuck another one on them uh, just for fun. Uh, to make it 63-31, and they took a you know they took a shot downfield and got a big gain out of it when they got into plus territory. Anything going on there? I mean, are there are there messages being sent, or was that just uh, or was that simply internal? We're not going to let up. This is how we're going to play at South Carolina. You got any sense of that? So I got the sense that it did not go unnoticed on the Tennessee sideline that they scored late there. Like, like well, let's put it that way. And that, well, you know, true, now, but I what, mean, the Missouri yeah. could say the same thing. I mean, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Oh, Sheila. I mean, yeah. Tennessee ran it up last week now. You yes. Know? Yes. Well, that is those coaches who play that style tend to take their foot off the gas last, right? Mm-hmm. If you go back to, to art and those guys, you know, when they were at Baylor, they certainly, uh, they certainly weren't, you know, tucking and taking knees in the third and fourth quarter when they were upsetting the apple cart in the Big 12 there. So I do think, uh, yeah, I I think those guys meet on the recruiting trail quite a bit, Reese. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, think about Jalen Hyatt's from South Carolina. I believe he didn't have a South Carolina offer, and that was one of the things. I think they came up on yeah. game day, but I think that was one of the one of the things there. So I just think that, like, they, they wanted to let the recruits certainly know that South Carolina is a uh, is there. But I did not. You know, because I was checking in on on Hooker, obviously on Sunday. I didn't really mm-hmm. dive into some of the uh, the behind the scenes uh, machinations of that. But that when uh, when the old Gamecocks roll into Nealon next season, I don't think that final moment will be forgotten. No, and but you know what? I mean, if you don't like it, stop it. I, mean, I agree. I, I've, I, agree. I've, I don't get caught up in that stuff. Yeah, like, I, I don't either. I just I just wondered because it is it was a little bit off brand, and I just wondered if it was a little retaliation or you know it's what look it would be one thing if Tennessee had that opportunity and did it to Alabama you know or did it to Georgia um but doing doing it to Missouri last week not that they shouldn't have I mean again if Missouri doesn't like it stop it and and Mm -hmm. Milton was in the game and when the backups were in they deserve to play but that was the first thing I thought when South Carolina did it to them I was like hmm Uh, I wonder if there's a little bit in those SEC coaching circles, recruiting battles of, uh, you know, wanting to, you know, make sure Tennessee knows that they're not necessarily the only ones that'll that'll 
you know, kick you while you're down a little yeah. bit. I, I think <laughs> you know, saying, he didn't do it on, on behalf of Drinkwitz. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm not, yeah. I'm not suggesting, yeah. no, okay. right. I'm not yeah. suggesting that at all. I'm just saying if yeah. there is a reputation thing going around that, uh, I don't know, you know, I'm just stirring the pot here a little bit. It makes it fun. Uh, hey, yeah. I like, I, I like it. Yeah. I, I'm all for pot stirring. Um, yeah. you, I, you, I think you said a game day that you embraced the petty and that made me feel good. I felt like I, that was a little bit of me rubbing off on you. So. Yeah. <laughs> the, the petty that I found that I mentioned on game day that I embraced was um i i don't know that it necessarily is as prominent in other teams game notes oklahoma's game notes had front page about it wasn't right at the top but it was like maybe third paragraph on the series it didn't just point out the overwhelming edge that oklahoma has on oklahoma state historically it made it it made it a special note to say that they were 14 and 3 now 15 and 3 against Mike Gundy led uh Oklahoma State teams. I did I do think they spared the fact that Mike was winless as a player as a quarterback against them too. But uh I was like okay. We're going to Mike Houck tweaking the bear at Oklahoma. He's, yeah. Mike Houck's been around for all those games I would think. So he's <laughs> he's got a long uh he's got a long a long memory of uh of of sooner dominance. So how about Oklahoma State falling off the cliff Reese? Now I know Sanders hasn't been up to snuff, but like that's not that is not a program that has shown us much quit in the past. And I'm not saying they did quit, but boy, have they rolled over and, uh, and, and been as bad as we've seen them in the last 10 years. I, it's, it's shocking because, you know, I don't know that I really expected them to be great in the early part of the season. They mm-hmm. lost so much on defense yep. from a year ago and, you know, and Jim Knowles left and everything, but is it as important as Knowles leaving? He's, he's terrific. I'm not trying to downplay what he accomplished at Oklahoma State and is accomplishing at Ohio State. But more important was that they lost, they lost the guts of their defense, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. But then the way they started and to see the way they've, uh, you know, the way they've sort of uh, gone belly up here. Is has been shocking. I mean, they've got a they've got to beat West Virginia Saturday. They're going to have a losing record in the Big Twelve. Um, you know, you're still bowl eligible, but I mean, within conference play. So it's um, been been pretty been pretty surprising. What did you make of um, late night? What did you make of Oregon and Utah? That was sort of a um, it was sort of a slop fest. Uh, I think so this is what I have to ask you. You get up at four in the morning on these Saturdays. How do you stay awake? Like, do you drink that much Dr. Pepper? You say you're immune to caffeine. I I was like, I woke up in the fourth quarter. There were six minutes left. Like, oh, I'm going to watch the rest of this. And then I woke up at like 3.15 and went to bed. So <laughs> I got to see cobbled together what happened. And I, I could talk about it fluidly. But like, I just like you, you woke up at four in the morning in Bozeman, Montana. You flew back to, to Florida and you were just like pepped up and wide awake. Like, are you a robot? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I look, I've done that before. And it's very, very frustrating to me when I'm trying to watch a game and I'm falling asleep and I wake up and it's late or it's over sometimes. But I don't know why it didn't happen. It didn't happen Saturday night. I was I was into it. I think I, you know, I, I was uh, driving, driving home from the airport and listening to the end of the SCUCLA game, which you've well, mentioned doing. Fun. Yeah, yeah. mentioned doing that before, and I was going, I was going back and forth, and I happened to be on the UCLA broadcast when the final interception happened, and it was uh, because if they had scored, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to hear the sure. jubilation, and yeah. um, so, so I don't know. I got in, I was kind of, I was into it, and uh, watching the game, and it was not a, not a, it was a tough game, hard nosed game. Bo Nix, you know, 
gritty gutty all of that stuff that yep. we sportscasters say but it was not a particularly well played game and cam rising certainly didn't have his best night mm-hmm. but um you know i don't yeah. i don't know i guess you know you get overly influenced by what you see on a given saturday and you look at it and you go oh well it, these guys can't beat sc you know <laughs> after you know what i'd watched on the plane flying back and then listened to at the end you're like all right well okay sc's gonna win out but i guess if last week taught us nothing else is that we we should expect more of this going forward of the unexpected buzzsaw to pop up in the most inopportune of moments for the contenders yeah i uh I felt for Cam Rising, who's had a really good career, and after mm-hmm. transferring from Texas, really found a niche there and, and, and gutted it out. He obviously had the the, the three interceptions, the the Utes uh, after you know showing some spark in the in the third and getting back in it, just really couldn't muster a lot together in the in the fourth. And uh, how about how about this for a prediction, Reese uh, Bonex, who clearly gutted it out. He had obviously the carry at the end on the gimpy ankle. I think that was his only mm-hmm. designed run carry to sort of get the first down. And uh, and help seal things up. How about Bonex returns to Oregon and is the leading contender for the Heisman Trophy with Caleb Williams and Drake May in 2023? What do you think about I'll, that for a prediction? I'll I'll buy that. I mean, and that probably would be completely dependent on what the scouts are telling Bo about his draft status. I would guess. Um, you know, Bo I just is, don't think he's in that top tier, right? Like yeah, if there's, that's probably, if there's that's five fair. and that's yeah. not a knock on Bo Nix. We just haven't seen enough good, consistent foot. Like he's been excellent since that Georgia game this year. Right. Mm-hmm. But do, do you just want, if you're a scout, another off season in the same system at the same place, they're going to, you know, your Oregon, you're going to be favored in 10 or 12 games. Does he go back and really show now they did a lot of uh, horizontal stuff in that offense this year, which was great. It got him comfortable. Mm-hmm. He didn't make mistakes. Maybe we see a little small evolution to go a little more vertical and and, and show some show some evolution. He's an older guy now, um, but I just He's think married. Like, yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, but I just think if Kenny Dillingham stays, he's in the mixed for Arizona State job, but it, I, I would expect him to be back at Oregon. And Bonick stays, and nobody's gonna like harvest the portal quite like Oregon, right? Like you mm-hmm. could really build something ar- around him. And credit Dan Lanning, that program got completely body slammed twice by Utah last year. We've talked about yep. it a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah. At yeah. The end of the day, some something in the DNA changing up. Now they have veteran linemen who have a lot of pride. They came back obviously, but something in the program DNA changed for where they got. They were not in the game for a snap in the second half of both those Utah games last Correct. year. And yeah. and they they certainly turned the tide on that. So credit to Dan Land. And that's like a starting February 1st, you know, when you take over and start your offseason conditioning change. That's not, you know, I drew up some play on a Tuesday and and you know, for for like that is a holistic program evolution that's happened under landing. So tip of the tip of the cap to him and and what he's built there. And if we do end up Ducks and Trojans. I think that's pretty fun. And I think that's the best scenario for the Pac-12 because mm-hmm. that gives USC the opportunity to hit a um to hit a hat trick here at the end. Now, Notre Dame's obviously not a pushover. They're they're all of a sudden, you know, knocking on the door of the top 10, which is not mm-hmm. something we thought we'd be saying after the Marshall game or the Stanford game. Stanford so, game is worse. I really think the Stanford loss is worse than the Marshall loss. I don't know. Marshall's pretty bad. I Stanford, you, you can't you can't lose that game. It's almost like a spot thing for me, Pete. I mean, not to take us off track on that, but to me, the Marshall loss came after the disappointment of Notre Dame 
you, it's easy to see them overlooking them. And I love Marshall's seven and four. You know, I mean, I know it's some belt, but I mean, yeah. it's no, uh, some belt's good. Yeah, some belts, some belts good, but they caught him in a spot, yeah. you know, and Stanford didn't catch him in a spot. Notre Dame just played horribly. And well, let me ask and, you this then for talking about Stanford on the podcast. Do you think David Shaw should be back next year? Yes. Okay. Uh, I, I don't even bat an eye about that. Okay. They, they were more restrictive in their in their restrictions uh relative to covid than just about anybody else they couldn't get anybody there uh for visits if you if you could get if you can get people on campus at stanford you got a shot you know sure. if you can get them in so i it's got it's gotten a little sideways he's shown the capacity to adjust do they need better results of course they do but it's also a place i think that values uh tenure that he's been there and he'll have ample opportunity to get it fixed now he needs to get it fixed you have another yeah. one like this one and then maybe it's different but i i think he absolutely should and and will be back i i think he is still in the period of time where the only way he would leave stanford is if he decides to leave stanford and mm -hmm. i don't i don't think i don't think that's going to happen right now but uh any you know anyway it's um yeah, Oregon's got a tough one this week too. I, I do. I agree with you on landing because it's the reason. I think you might have picked Utah too. I can't remember. I, I know why. Yeah. I know I did. I and, did. I picked Utah. Yeah, and the reason I did was because of just that. It's like, show me you can stand up yep. to Utah, and they did. And this this is an, another thing that as these coaching hires start to unfold, that is really interesting to me. People always say, well, you need to start being a head coach someplace where you can make mistakes. And it's probably true that you can make more mistakes at Oregon than you could at, say, Georgia, you know, where Landing came from as an assistant. That's probably true. But you can't make a lot, you know, and there's some people who just understand how to do it. And mm -hmm. in this day and age and only one year return, I'm not putting him in the Hall of Fame or anything like that. But it's been, to me, it's been really impressive the way he's gone about his business at Oregon in the first year. And he has all of the makings and the looks on the outside of being that guy who didn't really need to get seasoned in Conference USA for a few years before he got his quote unquote big opportunity. Some guys are like that. You know, it's, some guys can step in and do it. I mean, college football is littered with guys who stepped in as head coaches in big spots and done fine. I think of Bob Stoops, you know, for instance, who, by the way, you want, you want a funny aside? I got a, yeah. I, I got a call from Stoops on Friday. Right. And I'm sitting in the office and my phone buzz and says, Bobby Stoops. And I was like, hmm. and before I can answer, he hangs up. So I didn't think, I thought oh, I was probably a mistake. And, um, few hours later he texts me and he goes uh sorry about that that was an accidental call uh earlier and uh sent some emoji or something to which i responded and friday remember peak was the xfl draft and i said terribly disappointing bob i thought you were about to draft me <laughs> <laughs> i think like recently, she's he, he, he got he got a little kick. Got a, you know you could line up in little... line you could flex out <laughs> i could I see that 
you know, maybe flash kid. some nickel. You'd really contribute all phases of special teams too. You know, yeah, he got a little. You weren't going to be a that. high round pick, so no. I think we need. I think we really need you showing up on teams. Yeah, probably so. I got to find a way to earn yeah. my keep and be able exactly. to make a roster at that point too. But I mean. You know, Bobby, Bobby didn't need any, he didn't need any seasoning. He just nope. got it. He understood how to be a head yep. coach. There are plenty of other guys like that, but there, there's also the other thing too. So you are gambling anytime that you hire a guy with either no head coaching experience or limited Absolutely. head coaching experience. It's a gamble. But if you feel strongly about a guy, there are some that just understand how to do it. And they step right mm. into the role because even guys who have been head coaches 25 years make mistakes. I mean, Heck, your, your guy, Sonny Dykes, almost uh, you thought he was going to let the clock run out. Uh, you know? <laughs> yeah, if you, you had know. taken a poll for me at 12 seconds, I would have said no effing way at the Bozeman Airport bar uh, oh, watching agree. on yeah. my laptop. I was like, yeah. whoa, yeah. <laughs> but sportsman, you can't. I was I that was that was one of the most fun moments of the season. I was like, hands on the bar, like, oh, my God, you know, it's great. It was uh, it was just total adrenaline shot. And uh, kicker just lines up, walks up, doesn't step off his steps, casually crushes at home. You know, bazooka, baby. We'll remember bazooka for a long time. We'll remember bazooka. And also, it's the weekend of the kickers. Maybe I need to bring this up Saturday to yeah. uh, McAfee will be all in. Pollock will be opposed to this, I'm sure. But you've got bazooka winning it for TCU. And then you have Jake Moody at Michigan and and Harbaugh's nominating him for Michigan legendary status for saving their uh, unbeaten season and kicking the game-winning field goal against Illinois. Yeah. How about Pat's description of kicking a cold football in Bozeman on Saturday? I thought that was one of the most creative descriptions with the, the ice cream cone with the, the chocolate shell. You got to bite through the chocolate. It was, yeah. it was so relatable. Everybody knows that chocolate shell. It's like... <laughs> I can't. I can't imagine. I can't imagine oh. kicking a football uh, in Bozeman on Saturday. Oh, uh, it must have been by kicking a stone. Before we move on, there's one quick thing I want to mention. The NBA is off and running. Get your basketball fix with the Low Post. Zach Lowe talking basketball with the smartest people in the business. Now twice a week, follow the Low Post wherever you're listening to this podcast. What was your best moment from the set when you think about that uh, game day 10 years from now? And it was awesome, scenic, fun, choreographed swearing, like you mentioned earlier, like I've never heard before. What do you think yes. your favorite like moment you'll remember five years from now? Oh, man. Uh, well, one, I when I went out there, I couldn't feel my toes in about five minutes. And I realized that my choice to wear the waterproof socks, thinking that that would be the best shield from the cold, was an erroneous one and should have gone uh, with that also should have just gone full winter boots instead of trying to maintain the style and go dress shoes. Catastrophic mistake on my part, by the way. Um, so I'll certainly remember that, but I think just uh, probably just the, the enthusiasm that the people had uh, the reaction that, you know, that you'd get any time you mentioned anything about uh, the state of Montana brawl of the wild, they were in it and just the, you know, this, I always I always struggle with how to say this because I don't want to make it sound, you know, so um, condescending. I don't mean it like that at all. But 
the gratitude that they had for the show coming there was kind of overwhelming. And it was, yeah. um, it was really, really appreciated. So, I mean, those, those things were fun seeing that drone fly around at the end when LC put on the headgear, LC oh. saying, I love this weather when, <laughs> when I'm not even sure the people of Bozeman love that weather as, as, uh, as cold as it was, there were, there were great moments, um, great moments out there. I think, uh, just be, being out on set, having the Montana State Band walk around in front of me while I was leading to the Stanford Cal play was was kind of fun. I was uh, I wanted to run over a trombone player, but they wouldn't let me. So, <laughs> how about McAfee taking the bull? <laughs> oh, that that was amazing. Hey, I want to I want to tell Good you this form. Yeah, I've I've done that before. I did oh, it. Really? Uh, uh, yeah, back in the back in the old days in local TV, I had this thing called working for a living in Columbus, Georgia. I would go out and do somebody's job. Rodeo Reese came Reese to baby. town. Yeah, rodeo came to town once. So I went out and did this. Now, let me say, I didn't do what Pat McAfee did because they had the one they gave me was like, I mean, he must have been a baby. He was, you know, he was new. He was a little guy. That that one that Pat wrestled down was that that was that was a steer. That was impressive on McAfee's part. Going yeah. with the no, rodeo was, team taking yeah. that thing down. That was a, that was amazing. That was not an FCS steer. No power five steer. <laughs> no, mine was the, the the steer I did way way back in the day. He was like uh, NAIA walk on. He wasn't even D three. You know, he was he was like maybe high school JV going to grow into something someday. But he wasn't there yet. And that was you know that was scary enough. That was a that was a real thing that Pat did. That was amazing. So yeah, no, I I was uh, that was that was really 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 impressive. Really really impressive. Yeah, it was. And the the media availability that we do on Fridays, too, um, that was fun. I got to channel my inner Mike Leach to they asked me if I'd rather, you know, face off with a Bobcat or a Grizzly. So um, I I sort of launched in. Did you do the cough? I did. I was so tempted, Pete, because I was I was doing Leach without doing the voice purposely. Right. And I was so tempted at one point to just stop and start coughing and then carry on as if nothing had happened and opted not to. But um, there there will be a lot of moments. I have a tough time with that sometimes in the immediate aftermath. And I still consider a couple of days the immediate aftermath of the show, thinking back and saying, what moments do you like? It's like the social media people will come to you sometimes. Is there anything from the show you'd like to clip and put on social media? And I'm like, I'm not sure what just happened. You're going to have to give me a little while, to, a little while to uh, digest what what we just accomplished. Because you know we got we got heavy again, which means we're running short on times. So we were, you know, that's that's what we do because it's not a it's not a scripted show. It's an organized sure. show, but it's not a scripted show. And we get late. You you bear the brunt of that. I feel badly about that a lot of times on Saturdays because every now and then you're you're one of the ones. All of us sacrifice some, but you're one of the ones who you take heavy hits sometimes in terms it's of okay. getting things cut. That's okay. I uh, that's why I try to give my- you a shout out when I see the tweets pop up on the screen, which are amazing, by the way. And yeah. I, you know, because I'm I'm leading to something here. The the thing is, I want to give you the shout out on the tweets because you've brought something to game day that game day's desperately needed for years. And that's uh, up to the second information on stuff that those who might participate in games of chance are interested in or just hardcore fans are interested in. And also great insight on things like coaching searches and all these different things. 
And it's it's like because of this podcast and that that I think people have started to think of us as as someone who is two guys who might someday star in a buddy movie. So that's what <laughs> I that that was that was the intent with the uh, with the selfie that our podcast friends here have have made great sport of because you and I happen to be seated next to each other on the flight from from Bozeman. Yeah, we actually had. Five different games going at once. <laughs> I was pretty. I was pretty impressed by that. You had one on your laptop, one on your TV. I had one on my TV, and then I had two YouTube TVs opened up. And I was like, you know, for thirty thousand feet, this isn't bad. Like it was. Uh, it was pretty good. Occasionally, I'd, I'd nudge you on like a big third down on one of my games. Occasionally, you nudge me. We didn't actually really talk that much, which was kind of nice. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, we did it. Yeah, you. Yeah. You were a really good seatmate because. We talked some, but then we both wanted to watch games. So we were doing our things, and I uh, hopefully I didn't um, yeah, do what I do on the podcast and talk way too much. But you know, I tried to keep it keep yeah. it tight too. We were untalkative and disciplined. It was rare for us. <laughs> so uh, Taylor and Sarah they they made fun of our of our picture that that we put on Instagram. They tried to say they didn't, but they did. Yeah, there was there was some patronizing going on there, that, that, yeah. that, but that's fine. We'll, uh, we'll we'll take it. I was just relieved when you have to fly home on a Saturday and it's literally like from Bozeman to Boston. Uh, there's no directs. I was just like relieved that I would be able to watch games like that's mm -hmm. the nightmare is you're just gonna spend eight hours like, you know, trying to get a try to get Wi-Fi on your phone to get like refresh updates. So thank you to the good people at Delta for uh, for for getting some live live TV and the good Internet. So you could stream a couple games. That was yeah, that was, that was very, very clutch. Uh, that yeah. was a uh, a significant uh, game changer. On, on the next flight, uh, um, on the next flight home, I was sitting by a, a gentleman, uh, a man. I won't give his last name. I don't want to call him out. His, his name was Markel. And uh, he he sat down and, you know, he was, I guess, a football fan. He was watching. And as the Tennessee-South Carolina game kept going on, I he was like, he was like, punching and jumping in his seat a little, a little bit, not, not, not overly. So not in a really bad way, but he's reacting. You know, I, I do this. It's my wife, my, yeah, my wife laughs, laughs at me when I watch games, you know, I don't even have to be emotionally involved. I like do this thing almost uh, subconsciously, like as the play goes, I tighten up and start leaning and pushing my leg to, you know, waiting to see if the tag, I don't know why I do it. I just do. Uh, it's not so much a thing that if I'm at the game as, as if when I'm sitting there watching, he was he was doing a lot of that. So at one point, um, he he seemed happy that uh, South Carolina had scored. So and I was I had the SC game on. And fortunately for me, he was watching South Carolina Tennessee. I'm watching SC. Oh, that's perfect. You know, yeah. So that yeah. was that was very helpful. And so I I said to him, I said, "Oh, you're Gamecock fan?" And he said, "No." He said, uh, "Just the SEC." And then he's and and then the truth came out. Then he said, "Not like Alabama." So he was basically rooting. I thought you were going to say he bet on it. That yeah, was, no, uh, he no, he was actually sitting there just basically rooting against Tennessee, which was, you know, sort of the essence of essence of college football. So yes, no, that's nothing. Kind of nothing wrong with rooting against. Uh, that's you know, I root against the Yankees. I'm a Red Sox fan, right? Like that's like that's like way more fun than you know anything. But like a second thing I like in baseball, like other than the Red Sox winning, the Yankees losing is just <laughs> just fine by me. And if it's like a grueling playoff loss yeah. or like a really yeah. you know just like a ghoulish no show. That's pretty yeah. satisfying. Um, yeah, it can. When I 
I don't really have uh, an NBA team that I follow anymore. But when I was a kid, because I loved Julius Irving, Andrew Tony Mucheek, so especially Dr. Sure. J, but I loved all the Sixers teams. I felt that way about your beloved Celtics when I was growing up. I mean, it was uh, it was a good day, uh, a good playoff series when the Sixers won, a better one when the Celtics lost. So, you know, that's I, I can I can identify with the feeling. Yeah. I, uh, I, you won't be saying that about Joe Missoula's red hot shooting Celtics this year. Uh, former <laughs> no. Mountaineer guards got the Celtics. Uh, he's got, he's got a bunch of Steph Curry's out there. I think they lead the NBA in, uh, in, in three point shooting. They have, I, they are a juggernaut. I, I've lost, I've lost that type of intensity about that. I'm yeah, not really, I'm not really a Sixers fan anymore. That kind of, uh, after Moses Malone and kind of deeper, a little bit later into the eighties, that sort of waned. So I've, I've, I've moved away from being, you know, it's a interesting. My, my friends who have kids tell me that like the, the younger generation doesn't root for teams as much as they root for individuals. That's like right. they follow them on social media. They have the Jersey, like they yeah. like a Devin Booker and that's mm -hmm. like who they, they're, they're not like as into the team part of it. It's, it's interesting. It's an interesting evolution and kind of a, an interesting part. I don't think we'll ever see that as much in college because like the, colleges you attend there there's you know there's mm -hmm. 20,000 alumni graduating every year you have an inherent fan base you are from the state of Tennessee generically like you know but I do think that's an interesting evolution on the pro side where um and again it, it mirrors what the pro athletes are doing too so it makes sense as a as a sport trend but anyway I wonder how much the transfer portal I mean you don't have enough time to establish yourself to to develop that type of following in most cases in college, but you're going to see some of that movement that you see in, or you are already seeing it, that you see in professional sports. Maybe a guy like Caleb Williams would have um, taken some casual fans with him, people outside of Oklahoma who were starting to root for Oklahoma because they liked Caleb Williams sure. might've migrated to USC along with him. But yeah, as a, as a big rule, you're not going to have, you know, wide swaths of young fans decide that they're, you know, moving from, you know, Oklahoma to USC simply because of of one player who'll be there, who'll be there for a couple of years. I let's go back quickly to a couple of we haven't talked Georgia except just touched on it and Ohio State. You mentioned about Georgia's vulnerabilities. The one thing about that game, and there are always little moments, inflection points in games where everything could have gone differently. Sure. When Kentucky stopped them on the goal line, Georgia was about to go twenty two nothing and should have. They go 22 nothing. They probably win 29 nothing, if not 36. But then Kentucky got a jolt of energy. They came back. They, you know, they came close to getting back in the game. I don't know, man. I still, I, I'm not saying they're invincible like some of these teams. And I hear what you're saying about Stetson. You know that I'm a president of the Stetson Bennett fan club, at least co-president co with Polly. I still think if fully engaged and you know, if if someone is doubting them or if there's big stakes, and I'm not saying that's all, always. You always want to play to the standard every week. I I still think Georgia's that team, man. I I just do. I they can they lose? Of course they can lose. And there are they do lack the home run threats on the outside. Their big running plays come from Bowers or McConkey. You know, on various iterations of the end around. So I mean, I I see all of that. And I know they don't have the five first round draft picks up there, but they still stout on defense. They got guys that can cover. I just 
I don't know. I still think they're that team. And mostly it's, are they fully engaged and interested and not approaching a game? Like, yeah, of course we're going to win. You know, if, if they're like, oh yeah, you want to see us? I, I think you get what you get against Oregon, what you got against Tennessee, and probably what you're going to get when they play LSU. So let me ask you this. Ohio State plays Georgia next Saturday at SoFi Stadium. No weather, no fan. You know, what, what do you favor Georgia by? Uh, three and a half. Yeah, I was going to say four and a half. So yeah, that, yeah, that 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 that's there. My point isn't to nitpick Georgia. It's just to say there's not this aura of infallibility. Here. I agree. Yeah, like that's the, it, which is great, by the way. Like, mm-hmm. like there, there's nothing worse than like if they're 21 points better than the field as a fan. Like we don't root for teams, but we want great games, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I would love to see this Ohio State Michigan game be just this white knuckle brawl that goes down into the fourth quarter. We'll we'll talk about that game a lot more as the week goes on here. But like this is what we want. Like you know the the Ryan Day mulching Don Brown's defense games um, were great if you're a Buckeye, but they're not they're not great for mm. consumers. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we want we want drama, just like we want petty, petty and drama. That's all we ask. <laughs> Talkative, undisciplined, seeking petty and drama. I, I never felt like in watching Ohio State Maryland either on Saturday. And man, credit to uh, uh, to Tungavailoa and for and to Loxley's team and really their their defense from fighting their guts out of kind of giving them a chance. Um, and I sort of feel about Ohio State the way I do about Georgia. You know, he started asking what's wrong with them after the Northwestern game. And then you have this game. It's clearly the, the sandwich game, the look-ahead game uh, for them. I never felt like they were going to lose that game. Even, even when Maryland got it back late, I was like, this is not going to happen. You know, it just – I don't know. I I've, I just felt like that was uh, the situation. I don't think it exposed any more vulnerabilities than were already there for Ohio State. I w- I'm not I'm not really too worried with um, with what I saw from Ohio State Saturday. Were you? So no, but it, it's interesting, right? Because like these teams are like evolving organisms, right? We can't take them like the snapshot of what they are. It, it changes every week. If I had asked you in Columbus at our game day meeting before the Notre Dame game in the opener, if you knew who Dallin Hayden was, would right. you have known? No, I would not. Have. Yeah. I probably should I have, might've said, have yeah, he's like a, like I would have a, a, a hint in the back of my head would have said, Oh yeah, he's a running back. They signed. He's pretty well regarded, but that's mm-hmm. it. I he, he, like he, he was in this class too. Right. Wasn't he? Correct. He's a yeah, true yeah. freshman. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's yeah. a true freshman and he looked dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the best stat I read, I think it was uh Bill Landis's column on rivals said that, Henderson, who did not look dynamic, he did not look like the Trayvon Henderson we know, had four negative carries. And Hayden had something like 25, 29, he had a bunch of carries. And mm-hmm. he did not have any negative carries. So mm-hmm. he hit the hole hard. Like, I don't think he runs a 4-3, but he had burst. He was sound. Like, that's a big spot for a freshman. And mm-hmm. uh, he he that second half, he, he carried the ball with class, I thought. Um, so that's, you know, all of a sudden... He could be the bell cow in the, in this game. Now there's optimism, like we talked about on game day, that Mayan Williams comes back. Feet are hard, man, for Travion Henderson. Like mm-hmm. he, he just did not look like himself. I think he's one of the most talented running backs in the sport, um, and he just didn't look like himself uh, be, because of the because of the foot. So it's going to be there are going to be a lot of eyes on warmups on Saturday, considering Blake Corum, Mike Morris didn't play, uh, Schoonmaker didn't play. They're great tight end in Michigan. Like there's a you know, look, it's November, it's college football, right? People are banged up and everything, but there's, you know, there's some 
really, really key players um, who are going to give us this snapshot, uh, this final snapshot here. The one thing I will uh, I will concede about Ohio State is and, and the way you know the way they looked against Maryland, couple of couple of other ones. This has to be a great great game for them to get in as a one loss a non champion. Should Michigan you know win the game, um, I, I feel less convicted about that than maybe I did. Now look, if TCU drops a game, would I favor Ohio State against TCU? Probably based on football judgment, maybe not necessarily on resume. Um, I'm not sure TCU is going to drop a game. It seems like one of those one of those years for the Horn Frogs. They keep pulling them out, Oof. but um, you know, I, I think that might have changed a little bit. And also, if uh, USC can can beat Notre Dame, previously I might have favored one loss Ohio State. Now I'm not so sure I would. You know, in terms of in terms of getting in, do I think Ohio State's better than USC? Yes, I do. I think they're I think they're better on defense. Are they unequivocally better? Which is the which is the standard? Um, then yes. Which brings me to this, and I should say this before we wrap it up because I, I don't want to ever back away from anything. I've been beating the drum that yes, LSU can get into the playoff, but not before Tennessee. Now that was absent other data that would bring that would bring Tennessee back in with the group, which I think that loss not only brought them back in with the group, I think it probably eliminated them because of the way they are. No hooker cannot be denied. Right, exactly. I just can't. So you've got two things now. You've got a blowout loss, bad blowout Mm -hmm. loss to a mediocre team, and you lost your quarterback. So that changes the dynamic and at least opens the door I think for you know for two loss LSU if they beat Georgia uh, to get in, there are other circumstances where you know I could still see. I, I don't think it's likely if LSU beats Georgia, but I think it's possible and not completely unreasonable that they would be left out. But now, uh, to me, a conference champion because of what what else Tennessee has done would trump that beat down that Tennessee put on LSU. And of course, hooker being gone changes things. So it really, in a lot of, in a lot of respects, Pete, it was a pretty good day for LSU to remove an obstacle uh, from their path of winning their way into the playoff, because I did not think that they could win their way into the playoff solely of their own volition, just by winning their games, they could win their way into contention, but it wouldn't be a lock. Uh, there's a giant obstacle out of the way now for LSU with uh, with Tennessee gone for sure. Absolutely, and and again, they, they need a little bit of help. But I boy, if they go if they go beat Georgia in that, you know, like again, it was always going to be hard to leave the SEC champion out of this thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like I could already hear Greg Sankey's uh, you know cranium exploding if that did ever happen. And so, um, again, I I. I think Georgia will sort of do the same serpent squeeze that they did to Kentucky, like mm-hmm. the old Alabama teams under Saban did in the uh, early part of the last decade, where they just sort of wrap around and wrap around and wrap around. And, you know, it may not be beautiful. And uh, I don't know if LSU has the diamondism to to really go score 31 and in, in, in beat the dogs. But uh, I do think that game got a little bit of an adrenaline shot right now, you know, mm-hmm. I do, you know, with, with Tennessee down and, uh, uh, you know, if never count out Brian Kelly in a close game, like mm-hmm. he's, he's pretty crafty. He's, you know, he has coached a lot. I think this is his 29th or 30th year. He's coached a lot of football games and mm-hmm. uh, knows how to pull strings, both as a favorite and an underdog. And so I just, again, I'm not saying LSU is going to win, 
but I don't expect that to be a 42 nothing game. Like in, in again, there's the, the mentality. Look at the mentality Georgia went into the SEC title game with last year. You know, Alabama came out and hit them on a couple deep routes, and you know, the thing was over almost. So, mm-hmm. um, you, a, a team playing for everything and a team playing for next to nothing from the biggest stakes, there's a dynamic there that's hard to ignore. Yeah. It, well, that was one of those two that uh, I didn't. I didn't give Alabama a great chance uh, last year because they were coming off that uh, Auburn game. It took them four yeah. overtimes to win against Auburn, and you thought, well, if Auburn's going to shut them down, what's this Georgia defense going to do to them? And the the emotional side can't be overstated in college football because um, taking the field that Saturday, Alabama was angry about the disrespect that the no shot this is still our conference now of course Georgia ended up getting the ultimate prize but it played a role for sure and I'm sure the same thing is going to be on LSU's side and Brian Kelly will use that masterfully uh now whether he uses it uh, effectively enough to win the SEC remains remains to be seen my nicer, kinder side is winning out on dumb loses more than smart wins this week. Is it? No, look, I, I, I'm going to tell you. this earlier uh, before you saw the pod. I don't know which game you're referencing, so I'm excited. I, I'm, I'm referencing the one that you and Gene Wojciechowski tire of hearing from all of us over the course of the week was my super dog pick was Wyoming getting 14 against uh, Boise State. And you get more points for an outright win. You know, a cover, a cover is good. So I had I had conceded that even though uh, Brown Mustard had a fourth quarter lead, looked like we we're going to get the outright win there, had a big long touchdown run. Of course, I'm watching the game on my phone while I'm watching SC and uh, and also Tennessee, and I'm emotionally more invested in Wyoming, obviously. So I but when Boise State had scored late. And Wyoming had a dreadful night trying to throw the ball. Their backup quarterback in, young man called Jaden Clemens, dreadful night throwing the ball. He throws an interception. So I think, okay, well, that's too bad, frustrating, but you're going to take the cover. Then a bolt of life. Boise State fumbles. How do you fumble trying to run off the clock? Brown Mustard picks it up. Now, we need to score a touchdown on the scoop. But instead, they get the scoop, and they get it down right on the cusp of the red zone, and there's 45 seconds left, Pete. 45 seconds, right? So first play, interception in the end zone. And immediately, two things come to mind. I can't believe I'm going to have to settle for the cover, and the other is I've got my dumb loses more than smart wins. Can't throw an interception in. I can't do it, man, because this this guy, Jaden Clemens, was pressed into service. He came in and Craig Bowl and the staff were talking in the post game about loving him up because, you know, he was devastated and he owned it like a like a champ, you know, like a fully grown man saying my team trusted me and I got to give them more. And I was like, you know what, man, I hope Jaden Clemens comes back and has a freaking great career for Wyoming because he he completed three of 16 passes and he completed three to Boise State including two crushers in the fourth quarter and still owned it like a dude. So you know what? That's not that's not dumb loses more than smart wins. That's trying to win and coming up short and living to fight another day. So go get him, Brown Mustard. I, I'm going to be watching this dude. I want him to have a great career now. I was also also had Sonny Dykes in the crosshairs on the whole uh, on the whole field goal thing. And it turns out he's smarter than he's so sane that, you know, 
that it seemed crazy. Spike on second down, never smart. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Okay, bazooka, right? That's what it's called, bazooka? bazooka. Okay, bazooka, bazooka worked. Dave Wilson got us the details. Bazooka worked. Still doesn't mean she'll spike the ball in second down. Right? Fair enough? Yeah. Uh, yes. No. Yes. Especially in that range where you can't pass, essentially. Like, like passing becomes really, really perilous. Yeah, so. right. Yeah. So... On a game-winning field goals, uh, I softened up on dumb loses more than smart wins right there. But right. even so, I, I do hope that young Jaden learned that it's first down. Yeah. I mean, I love the fact that they were going for the win. Yeah. Can't put the ball in harm's way. Can't put the ball in harm's way on first down. Fourth down, okay, whatever. You know, or th- probably – even third down because in that there was terrible wind conditions. You didn't really want to go. You want to do it. That was your best shot to win. Try to win it right there, but you would have kicked the field goal on fourth down, but you know, don't take the field goal off the board and maximize your opportunities. You know, don't, don't give it up on first down. What a turnaround by Andy Avalos, by the way, considering, you know, how they looked that night at UTEP that Friday early in the season to now. So Mm -hmm. give them a ton of credit, man. They they won their division. They're going the Mountain West championship game. Yep, that seemed improbable early in the year. Remember, yeah. they struggled against New Mexico yeah. um, down there. So, hey, give them credit, man. Yeah, the whole Bachmeyer thing too going. Uh, Bachmeyer thing. They fired Tim Plow, the OC. They brought in Dirk Cutter. Now it's nice to have a former NFL head coach kicking around your staff room. Hey, yeah. put your fly fishing pole away, Dirk, for three months and come call some plays. <laughs> and you know they also their uh, their quarterback uh, looked was was terrific. He's really too. good. Yeah, what Taylor re- Green, I think, right? He's really good. I've had a scout yeah. call him Baby Vince Young to me. Like he's really, really. Yeah, he really played. Good. He played really well. He was. He was a difference in that game. And on a night when Wyoming is as documented struggled to throw the football, he did not. Now Taylor Green was twenty of thirty four, two hundred eleven yards through a touchdown pass. Um, he he was really really good. And I know I know that game flew under the radar, and it is one of the beauties of the Superdog segment is that it it does it will take one off the beaten path from time to time. That was a really entertaining game, by the way. And tough loss, tough loss for the Pokes, but a, a good season considering all the people they lost to the transfer portal. What was expected of them in the in the preseason. Going to spin it ahead later this week to a lot of Ohio State-Michigan talks and more rivalries. Uh, maybe the little secret sauce that Notre Dame has that could give USC trouble of history, uh, recent history, as in history of this season, is any indication. We'll talk plenty about that on Wednesday. If it's still up there, go enjoy the the nice uh, bromance selfie that Pete and I delivered, even though we were openly mocked by Sarah and uh, and Taylor as a result. It was serendipitous. We didn't switch seats or anything to, to sit by each other. So anyway, that's it. This is the College Game Day podcast. Thank you for listening. Download it wherever it is that you enjoy your podcast. We're here three times a week, and we will talk on Wednesday. <laughs>